Welcome to the Wisdom of Madness with Rasuli and Jesh Darox. Two friends from different worlds discuss the beauty and mystery of creativity. make somebody a good partner for you especially if you're living the life of a creative and how do you balance the wildness and the unrestricted nature because libertine does not fit well with most people's idea of what a good partner (laughs) would be i would love to kind of dig into that all right let's take one by one maybe figure out the words first okay Uh, so when we speak We know what we mean by the words. Okay. What is a libertine? I think usually, I mean, the connotation, I haven't looked in a dictionary, but the connotation is somebody who has a disregard for formality, for social ritual, for agreed upon standards, that kind of thing. And wouldn't that be what you would consider an artist? Certainly. The standard that we're talking about, like religion, morality, politics, law, these standards are all man-made. They're all imposed. Yes. Every one of them. Every one. So I could change my mind and impose another one or deny one and accept the other one. When you say libertine, you're talking about somebody who goes against what is accepted by general public. Yes. Without getting into judgment of whether it's right or wrong. Mm-hmm. A libertine is someone who has the capability, or he does, go against the norm of the society. I want to jump in there and just say I think it's a really important and interesting point to note that you're suggesting the libertine doesn't go against society because of judgment. Because sometimes you get people who go against society because they have judged society to be wrong or too much this or too much that, etc. And there seems to be a different kind of energy about those kind of people. It's almost like they're in a war. And that style of libertine or rebel or whatever, to me, doesn't match up with the deepest meaning of the word that I know you're talking about when you say libertine. And I think that's a really important distinction. Most people don't realize that there is a challenge and there is a limitation or elimination. When you're dealing with a challenge in life, life is exciting. Life without challenges means nothing. A day without a challenge is worth not a damn. The whole beauty of life is these challenges, these things that keeps us moving, that keeps us from one direction to another direction. So what, what we do as a libertine is to bring about a concept that is not a normal concept. Uh, so we're becoming ridiculous. A libertine is a ridiculous person. Without judging, ridiculous in terms of doing something against the norm of the society. Now, if the norm of society is imposed upon because of a purpose, such as politic, religion, economy, whatever, if it's imposed because of that, then it's a man-made law. 
and is vulnerable to be exchanged or changed. So when you call a libertine somebody who is against the rules, you are the libertine by setting up the rules. That being that we call a libertine is just doing another way of doing things. It's not destroying anything. It's not getting a gun to kill other people. That's exactly what I'm saying. I think sometimes people associate this idea of being a rebel or being a libertine as having to be against normal society. And I'm saying that what I heard in the first definition that you gave of it was not that. You were saying it's possible even, you know, that somebody is following a deeper instinct that's just leading them in another direction rather than having in their mind the concept of this is a situation and it's not good, so I'm going to do this other thing. Instinct relates to our relationship with our environment. Feeling emotion is just for us. If I want to feel sad, I'm free to do that. I want to feel happy, whatever I am. But when it comes to my environment and my connections and the other people I'm dealing with, then it's not what I feel is what is norm to connect with other people. To connect with other people has a way of its own, your way, not the way that was dictated to you. So as a, as a libertine, you are not going against destroying something that is there. You're doing your own way of it as well. Mm-hmm. Now, whether society accepted or not, right. that's outside the point. That's a judgment. Mm-hmm. But a libertine goes against the rules. And an artist has to be a libertine. Well, by your definition, though, wouldn't you say that a libertine just goes their own way and sometimes that will mean that they're breaking rules of society, but they're not purposefully breaking them? But their breaking is different. See, this is a different type of breaking. This is breaking like breaking the, the Olympic rules. Olympic, you know. Mm-hmm. Because then you break the rule. That means you're going beyond the rule. You are not destroying the, the rule. You are not getting a gun and, and you know, shoot the, the rule. You are taking a step beyond that. Regardless of any judgment, the one who is right now running this country in the White House has done just that. It's about breaking the rules in a different level, in a level that shows that if you don't pay your taxes is because the tax laws are not sufficient enough for us to relate to. So that is somebody who is going against what is there as standard that we use in. But is it bad or good? It's just a judgment. So live a libertine way and enjoy every breath that you take. Else you have to follow the rules. And to follow the rules, you're dealing with a limitation in your life. And if it's about you and creating what you do, you better don't follow the rules. Else you would be copying somebody else. I think that's a really, really big subject that we could probably dive into from a lot of directions. But one thing that really stands out to me is what you said about 
the instinct being in relation to the environment, I think that's a very poignant thought I've never considered before, that instinct is always related to environment. Because I've never had an instinct before that wasn't in some way connected with my environment. But you see that people have different levels of instinct. The word instinct, in, that means you're taking in, you're taking from the outside, inside. Okay. So there are all kinds of instincts. People end up getting an instinct to run away and hide sometimes when something dangerous happens. People get an instinct to keep eating food again and again and again that they know isn't good for them. I mean, that's a certain kind of an instinct. It's the gorge instinct. So there's also uh, these other kind of instincts some people seem to have that they run towards the thing that everybody else is running away from. And those are the people that become the heroes and the, the mystics and all of those wild, beautiful people. They're both instincts, but they're different kinds of instincts. What you said just really illuminates something in my mind that I had never thought of before that was, they must be relating to a different environment than those other people. They must be aware of a different environment, possibly even in the same exact location. There's so much happening right now. Even here in this room, there's so much happening. And to which of those environments we choose to relate to that kind of dictates maybe the available instincts that we have to respond to that. Like, I've always really loved the idea of these mystics having these conversations with beings that no one else can even see. <laughs> and there's maybe one of the most common attributes of quote-unquote angels is that you're the only one who can see them. I think that's kind of just this beautiful idea to me is that maybe these saints and these mystics are aware of this other level of reality that is in the exact same location as the more common levels. And in their communication and connection with that, these deeper instincts that are available maybe to all humans, but aren't just accessed, suddenly become opened. Yeah. The funny thing is that we were born with that instinct. We are put on planet Earth with that particular instinct which is surrendering to what is given to you. Hafez says, Whatever is poor in the container I drink, whether it's the wine from heaven or just the grape wine, whatever is poured in the container I drink. That drinking, that surrender is that connection the mystics have which is the inner connection, which is the same connection as a child has, like a baby has as they grow before they're still three years old. They follow because they don't know anything. They have no knowledge of comparing. They follow what the environment requires from them to do, which is what we do as well, what the environment requires us to do. If the environment requires me to be in this limitation that I live, wake up with the alarm clock and typical mundane life, then that's what I got to do. A libertine has the instinct in the connection with the environment through the heart, not through the mind, because the connection with the environment through the mind means that follow the rules, which is ongoing. But when he's with the, with the heart, he does not follow any rules. It might break the rule, it might not break the rule, but the breaking the rule or not breaking the rule has nothing to do with the rule. Exactly, yeah. 
the rule is still the rule. No libertine would break the rule the way that destroys the rule. When I paint, I know all the details that is done, but I'm doing my own way. Like I was saying earlier, footprints lead to the shore, but from there on, no trace remains. There you're on your own to decide where I want to go. Being on your own to decide where I want to go needs a certain freedom that on top of it is being free from the rules that dominates and make you limited to what you're doing. I think I might have told this story before. Earlier this year, I had this experience, you know, where I was deep into a powerful state and I received that I was not supposed to be a healer anymore. And, you know, I had spent most of my life thinking of myself as a healer. And it's not that that's bad or wrong, but it said it's time for you to have a new designation because as long as you are a healer, you're still a part of the war because there's no need for a healer if there's not the wound. Without me realizing it, I was kind of part of perpetrating in my own life anyways, this cycle that just kept happening where there's a wound, so I'm a healer, and then there's a healer, so where's the wound? It's kind of these two halves of it. Again, it's not to put down the profession of healing in any way or somebody that feels drawn to that. I was drawn to that for most of my life, but now there's this state, you know, that's coming in, and it it said, um, your new designation is to be a gardener. And it's neither wound nor nor healer. It's a whole other thing. And it's reminding me a lot of this conversation because as a gardener, you're there holding space for, you're nurturing, you're in some ways maybe protecting or caretaking. But all of that is just to create a container for this other thing that's not you, that is older <laughs> beyond comprehension than you, this life that keeps taking different shapes and goes in its own direction. It will go in its own way, following its own dictates. And you as a gardener have some level of shaping of that in some ways, but the real thing that's happening as, a, as something is growing really has very little to do with the gardener. If anything, the gardener is just supplying some circumstantial catalytic elements that could have been supplied by a lot of other people or, or things. But that relationship as a gardener to life growing to me, feels very similar to what you're talking about as this libertine who is not in opposition to anything. I think that's just such a powerful concept because I think a lot of people feel stuck inside the culture. They feel weighed down by it. They instinctively know it's wrong. There's something wrong about it. There's something not right about it. But I think they can get so caught up in the wounding of that and in the wrongness, quote unquote, of it that they don't realize that they're actually perpetrating it by being a half of, of that cycle. Going back to what you were talking about, you know, with the president who, is, who has caused so much turmoil in the minds of so many people. Now, I don't want to make it a political commentary, but just as a pure energetic observation, I remember hearing once that Howard Stern, who was a very controversial figure in his time, that more than 50% of the people who listened to him every single day hated his guts. And the only reason that they listened was to hear some new outrageous thing that he would say so that then they could talk about it to all of their friends. And at the end of the day, 50% of Howard Stern's following and income and reach is coming directly from people who supposedly hate him. 
it's a part of an energetic cycle. And I think a lot of times people get caught up and lost in these wars that they're having, thinking, well, I'm right, and that's why I need to keep fighting, you know, and I, we need to win because we are the, the vic- we are the morally superior people. I think just the way of the libertine was to choose neither side. Even Buckminster Fuller, who's one of my favorites, you know, he says, you can't change existing reality by fighting it. It's just not going to work. Build something that's so much better, so much more beautiful, so much more powerful that it makes the existing system obsolete. That's the powerful way. That's the way of the libertine. Female mystic of seven and eight centuries, Rabia, is seen one day going along the road with fire in one hand and a bucket of water in the other hand. They ask her, what are you doing? Where are you going? She says, I'm taking this fire to heaven and this bucket of water to hell so I could demolish both of them so the truth would come out. Wow, so powerful. To have the truth come out, you need to get rid of judgment. You need to get rid of this morality that is accepted. But getting rid of, again, I keep on going back to the concept of Olympic. Mm -hmm. Breaking the record does not mean to destroy the record. Mm -hmm. It means to go beyond it. Mm -hmm. The hero is the one who goes beyond Mm -hmm. the record, not breaking it. The hero the true libertine, which I would consider a mystic libertine, is the one who does just that, going beyond the rules, not breaking them. Unfortunately, when we say breaking, people think that it's like destruction, you know. Mm-hmm. Breaking friendship means, you know, just yeah. break away from the whole thing. But why not look at breaking as going at a level beyond that where that includes that? Mm-hmm. I consider myself romantic. See, romantic is to go beyond classic. Classic is the standards that we learn how to communicate and what is the best of everything. So ideal classic forms, ideal classic dress, ideal classic everything is something that has certain rule. Now, when you're a classist, you want to take a step beyond that rule. That means you're enhancing that. You're again that Olympian who's going one step beyond that. You're just adding a scarf to that outfit that suddenly makes it in a different level. Then comes the idea that "Hmm, I want to be romantic. I want to go beyond that completely. I want to come up with my own rules even. I want to play the instrument that I create. I don't want to play the piano that somebody else has created. So when you go into that level, you're vulnerable to make a mistake a lot or to be really successful. Romantics have this imbalance constantly where classists, their journey is in that chain that they follow. Mm -hmm. 
So when you're dealing with a romantic image, romantic music, romantic whatever, it's got these two great contrasts against each other. Pure darkness against pure light. That's a romantic approach. You don't see that in classic approach. So when you hear, you know, romantic music, it's got these crescendos that just flow in there to extremes. Where in classicism, you have certain continuation. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. They're just two different approaches. Which of the two is more like a libertine? Or? Definitely the libertine is the second one, is the romantic. Libertine is the one that breaks every rule that is there. A classist needs the technical ability to its fullest to go beyond it. A romantic needs to have the recognition of what is happening in the overall flow. So let's say there's a guy working in an office. He's listening to this. His name is Mohammed, okay? And he's like, how do I become more of a libertine here in my office as, an, as a person who works in an office? What, what would you say to such a person? Uh, to begin with, learn how the office works. Find out the secrets behind many of the things that are happening in there. Find the rules that you can play with. Find what rules have the little cracks that you can get through that thing. So you're in this office, and the first thing you got to know is how this office works. If you want to go beyond the work of the office, number one is to know how the office works. So you can go beyond that. So interesting hearing that too in thinking about ourselves because most of us, including myself, have very little idea of how we even work just as a single singular human. The human experience is such a mystery in itself that even someone like myself who's spent the vast majority of time in my life trying to figure it out it still feels the bare edges of adequacy, you know, of really understanding everything that's happening here. And when I hear you talking about if you want to someday take over the office, you have to understand it, how it works. I think that's probably giant step one, you know, of <laughs> the human experiences. So few of us really hardly know at all how we work, why we want the things that we want, why we're scared of the things that we're scared of. I mean, it's a pretty big pretty big thing to tackle. Once you learn the process, then the challenge is to move beyond it. Moving beyond the process is to begin with your dream. Unless you dream, you cannot create. So you begin with a dream and you apply the manner of development that you've learned from your organization to it, then you begin to create your own way. Your own way is to follow your dream, not the dream of the one who did your office for you. I think what's so interesting about that too, to me, is that when you think about life and death, creation and destruction, how life is this thing that's constantly pulling from everything around it and amalgamating it into the form. You see the, the seedling or the, the root or whatever is drawing in dirt 
drawing in all of these things and those things that seem to be opposite most people would agree that dirt is like opposite from a flower or whatever that flower is made of the amalgamation you know of all of those things and i think it's a really beautiful thing that you're saying to me i think it's incredibly profound actually that when we have these oppositions to things when we have these schisms as soon as as soon as we get into this place of judgment and i mean even to say the word judgment is to almost easily dismiss this whole massive deeply important thing because we just hear that word so often but in a certain way we could kind of redefine judgment for this conversation and say that to enter into judgment is to stop and cease the natural connection that needs to happen to life around you to continue to be a part of the process of growing and moving, which is life itself. And as soon as you enter into this judgment, you create a barrier that separates that. I was thinking recently about humans and how extraordinary it is that humans are picking up little pieces from everywhere that they go. I mean, God knows how many pieces of different things are inside of me to form this body. Fruit from South America and grain from Italy and all of the strange and wonderful things I've eaten over the last several years. My body, this one here that you're looking at, is made of pieces that have been collected from dozens and dozens of countries all around the planet. It's such an amalgamation of all of those things. So your story of the heaven and the hell and those combined create the truth. It just seems so deeply related to what life actually is. Life is always this amalgamation. And when we get into these modes of wanting to destroy, you know, and, and judge and condemn, it's almost just like we're calling a timeout on life, you know, and we're just going into this long period of time or however long it is that going into this period of time where we're just separate from all of it. You know, and so even the whole thing about like, don't judge as if judging is a bad thing. It's like, no, it's not even that. It's just that you're not living. The whole trick is right there on the edge of this judgment. If you can settle outside the court, you're in a good shape. The problem is you enter the court, the judge is going to rule. Wow. You got to know both sides, your side of the story and the other one's side of the story in the equal way, without judgment, because you're outside the court. So if I know my side of the story, and I know your side of the story, we can come to agreement with utilizing the positive side of both. But if we enter the court, that's what judgment comes into the picture. But if you can, your, your capability is to be able to see the two. Rabia is carrying a bucket of water and the fire. That means she knows mm. everything about water and mm -hmm. she knows everything about fire. So she knows that not only how it crunches somebody's thirst, how it can get rid of the fire that is inside somebody. When you get to that depth, your creation is inevitable. All of the things that you're talking about that is in us through our life that we picked from all of these, it's all it needs is a seasoning of our own to spread on it. And we can make the greatest thing out of it. 
if it's my own seasoning put into all these pieces that I've gathered around all my life, I'm going to come up with something very creative, very new, outstanding, and I have not destroyed anything of the past. So this is where we can truly benefit from being a libertine, not running away from the police force or law or morality or church or whatever. When you're in that point, you go in the church proudly and denounce things by replacing them with your own and leaving the people to recognize it. I think that's cool, too, because the word libertine, you know, comes from liberty, obviously, that same root, which has to do with being free. Sometimes when we put ourselves in opposition against things, it's a form of slavery, even though we don't really think of it that way a lot of times. If you really, really hate someone or something, and they're a common thing, and every time you see them or think about them, you feel this clenching in your chest, that thing has a power over you. So for all people say that they hate a certain person who's in charge of them or ruling them or something, they're kind of signing up for that certain kind of a dominance of them. They're accepting that dominance as long as they have judgment about that. To be a libertine, because I'm even thinking too, there's a lot of people who have a lot of problems with the church and with religion in general, which I understand. But to walk into a church and to feel a disgusted feeling because of ideas you have about things that have happened means that the church has power over you. (laughs) Maybe not the kind of power that they think, you know, but still a power. Because if a thing can cause a physical feeling in your chest that you don't want to have, that is a power over you. To be a libertine, to me too, seems you walk into the church, you're free. And you walk outside, and you're free. And you walk into some hellish situation, and you're free. And you walk into heaven's gates, and you're free. That's the commonality between all of it, and that maybe should be the indicator that somebody is searching for in any given moment. What's my level of freeness right now? And then what's impeding that freeness if there's something interfering in that? Even what you're saying about the office and the secrets that are in the office. To understand the system so well is to be able to learn what there is to play with and what there is to experiment with and what there is to shift around. I think as Emerson said, all the world is full of lines, strings of tension waiting to be struck. So gorgeous, but basically talking about how that everything is a, is a string and it can all be made into music. Rabia had the bucket of water and the fire. If you want to look into the approach that we should be taking, I would go with a sword and all I care about is to kill the snake. If I kill the snake, I'm not worried about heaven and hell anymore (laughs) because I'm already in heaven. Get rid of that passion that takes you out of the way. Don't stop every stop point that you see along this journey that you take into greatness. Being a libertine is to kill the snake is to get rid of the passion so you could follow your desire and be attracted to what you have been guided to go. The snake is what is inside you that makes things happen. That killing is absolutely necessary. That's why 
life begins. Ah, beautiful, okay. That's where life begins, with killing that. Rumi has this beautiful story. There's this farmer who has this wheat and corn and everything and stores it in the warehouse. So in the winter, he would go and sell it for a higher price. But every time that he comes to fill the warehouse, it sees that it's still the same level as it was before. Keeps on filling that thing, comes back again. It's at the same level. It's not enough. And never gets to go and sell the harvest that he had. The problem was that there were these rats who had tunneled under the warehouse, and they were just taking away all of his stuff. What he didn't know is to how to get rid of the rats. What we need to do is get rid of the snake. We gotta get rid of the rats that are eating us from inside out constantly. We keep on filling ourselves. We keep on filling this warehouse. But what is killing us, whatever these negative feelings that comes to us constantly, and we're filled, you know, there are holes all over the place. And we keep on filling that. That's why we never get anywhere. The farmer has to miss the whole winter completely because did not patch the holes. What we need to do, patch the holes. So this idea of killing the snake, patching the holes, I think it in some ways is like an abstract concept. What does that mean? Are you basically saying that by plunging the sword, you know, the angel into the snake, there's a certain kind of a union that happens there. And so as the snake dies, it's almost like very similar to how a tree dies and then its body decomposes and that exact same energy is now freed to become the new life. Because this thing I'm trying to reconcile in my mind is we're saying there's this dualistic thing and that's a part of the problem because we get stuck in one of these. And in a certain way, when you realize the snake is in you and you plunge the sword, which is also you, into you, this kind of union happens and this cycle continues that allows for the freedom and the movement. Let me give you an example of when I'm painting. I cannot stand in front of the cam my canvas and say, here I am, I'm going to start this great masterpiece. I go in there and there's thought in my mind. I'm still angry or something is mm -hmm. going on. All of this is with me. Okay. As I start in front of the canvas, I want to paint. I still think about the payments I got to make, all of these things that is there. And I'm painting while these are in my mind. As long as these are in my mind, everything that I paint on the canvas is the reflections yes. of what is in my mind. Right. As I'm going through that journey, slowly I have eliminated the thoughts by developing a rhythm for myself based on the music I listen to or the scent that I'm receiving or whatever. As I get into that zone, I begin to create. What I did, I just destroyed all these thoughts that were there. As human being, what do we do? All we gotta do is get rid of carbon dioxide. We don't need to get oxygen in. The oxygen will come in. Getting rid of carbon dioxide is killing the snake. 
is letting go of what is poison inside you, what is poison in you. All we're doing now is getting rid of what is stopping us from being us. That is the big rule in creativity. Don't try to make anything. All you need to do is get rid of what is preventing you from making something. Because making something is not you. Making something comes through you when you remove the rocks that leads to the river. When you remove the rocks, the flow can take place and get into the river. I love this idea about the fire and the water, taking the fire to heaven and the water to hell to destroy them both. Is, is that what she said? Right. I think what I really love about that is that how both pieces are completely amalgamated. And in the amalgamation, in the story, the truth emerges. And I think that says something really important about what truth is. It's not a schism. It's a wholeness. It's a bringing everything in. And I think that's a big part of the, the problem that we face here in society and in our own minds is all of these schisms. There's all of these movements that are very anti this or against this or whatever. And it's important that those issues be addressed because they need to be addressed. But a lot of times as people pour more and more power, whether it's into hell or whether it's into heaven, it's maybe equally distant from the truth because the truth has to incorporate both of those things. And even how you keep mentioning, you know, the records going, going beyond them. What's interesting to me about that too is that that means the current record exists still inside of that person and they've gone beyond it. So it's like you're consuming the old record rather than, than breaking it or fighting it. Because again, as long as you're fighting this other thing, like I was saying with the healing, you're in this war, that yin-yang dualistic thing. There's infinite physical versions of that, infinite. You, It's almost like trying to be faster than your mirror or something. So the mirror's over there and you're trying to psych out the mirror by moving really quickly. <laughs> and no matter what you do, no matter how fast you go, it will always match. Or, or your shadow is probably a more apt uh, illustration of this because you can't outrun your shadow. It will always be exactly matching you according to where the light is. And the other way, this, this Buckminster Fuller way, this libertine way, you know, I think is to, to not fight against the shadow any longer. Obviously, the works of Carl Jung and a lot of other people kind of dig into that. And about maybe three mornings ago, I had one of the most profound experiences of my entire life. I am lucky to live a life where that is regularly the case. <laughs> Almost all my friends, they'll ask me, how was this week or what happened? I was like, oh, it was the best week of my life. So in my own life, I'm practicing that way of the libertine I continue to expand beyond my, my previous record, not in a way that, that kicks them off, you know, but respects them by building upon them. And for real, three days ago or four maybe, it was one of the best mornings I've ever had. And what was happening for me was I was dancing around in my house by myself, which that's pretty usual, listening to amazing music. But these thoughts started coming to me about the Garden of Eden I've been really looking at some of those old stories again, kind of from a new perspective. Uh, and it's kind of striking to me how similar 
what I was experiencing was to what we're talking about today. Because in the ancient story of the Garden of Eden, there's the Garden East and then there's the Garden West. And one of them is supposed to be good and the other is supposed to be bad. There's even this tree and it's called the tree of good and evil knowledge. You know, there's like the man and there's the woman. And then there's like the people and then there's the snake. And then uh, there's the tree of life and then there's the tree of good and evil knowledge. There's all of this dualistic thing happening there. And it was paradise. That's what it was called. It was paradise. It's always been kind of an interesting talking point, you know, and a point of derision for people that, that don't like those stories. If it was paradise, like, why was there a snake built into it? You know, and like, why was there evil inherent in quote unquote paradise? It's a whole nother thing we could dig into. But the story goes, they got kicked out of the garden. They were in this kind of like barren wasteland where they had to work and toil really, really hard. And then even there's this angel there guarding the way back in. And it's got this fiery sword, you know, which in ancient times was symbolic of truth. And I've heard that story a lot, you know, I've considered different applications of it. But what I'm getting really into myself right now is wondering and experiencing and exploring. What if the old wisdoms were perfectly true, but they just meant something different than what we normally try to ascribe them to meaning? What if it never was about some kind of attempt to describe the origin history of the planet? And maybe it was more about the origin of a human and how the human psyche develops and how the consciousness develops. And I was getting really deep into that and I just got into this powerful ecstatic state and I was just realizing that entire story is a metaphor for the, for the human and for the mind. There is a paradise state that exists in the mind. And uh, I am the Garden East and I am the Garden West and I, I am Adam and I am Eve. I'm both of them. And I am the snake. And I am the tree of good and evil knowledge. And I am the tree of life. And all of us as a society, as a species, have kind of been kicked out of that powerful place and we're living in this barren toiling kind of a desert place where we have to work our ass off in pain dealing with the darkness in us but the way is guarded by this angel with this sword and that's us too we're all of them and as long as anybody is stuck in this schism of playing one of those parts they're just going to forever be stuck in whatever role that is and they'll have up and down and all of this drama to say about whatever happened, but I think the powerful moment, the powerful part is to start claiming all of them and say, you are me, and you are me, and you are me, and I am Adam, and I am Eve. Not Adam is better than Eve, or Eve is better than Adam. That truth that you're talking about that accepts all is so closely linked to what I've been learning about surrender. You've been such an inspiration for me. To surrender really is to have no schism, no schism at all. And to say, yes, you, you, and you, and you, and you, and all of these, all of these are me. Not, I'll take you and you, and not you, and not these five <laughs> things, and not these things over here. And the metaphor that you used with the concept of Adam and Eve and heaven and, and the snake and all that, it's so true, and the way you look at it into just, it's all in one person. Now, the beauty of it is that they're all gone. Heaven and hell was concept gone. Adam and Eve were concept gone. 
But what is still around is the snake. And what is still around <laughs> is the angel that we don't see. And then the snake is, is our passion. The snake is the one that takes you out of your zone into another zone. Yeah. And the offering of the apple is what fools you because you receive something that you can take in. The apple is something that you take in to eat it. So you have it inside you. So that whole concept of passion in the metaphor, I would use it as, you know, snake and the apple that guides the passion. See, passion goes for the apple, mm -hmm. but desire wants to stay in heaven. The hell with the snake and the hell with the apple. Mm. I am in heaven. And when I'm in heaven, I do what those who are in heaven do. And they surrender to what is there, what is available. Buzz Aldrin was describing that when I went up, the earth was this blue planet down below that I was looking at it. And I pointed at it. And I said, this is my home. Wow. That's the heaven. And it's got a lot of snakes. <laughs> yeah, it does. And a lot of apple trees. <laughs> so we're really facing this whole passion every moment. You've got to go somewhere. You have this beautiful freeway that leads into the world of whatever you can imagine it mm -hmm. is. And you're driving. And then suddenly you see, oh, there's a tree with apples along the side of the road. And it says rest area, and you just pull on the side, and you go under the apple tree, and you're missing the journey. And the longer we stay under the apple tree, the less time we have for continuation of the journey, obviously. The whole concept of heaven and hell, and that union of the two, is all to break away from being them separate from each other. And I think that's really the whole concept of Rabia bringing the bucket of water and the fire to put fire into heaven and pour some water on hell. So that that union takes place. The voice of God would come through. The voice of the creative power would come through. That voice is what we call love. The Wisdom of Madness is produced by Rasuli, Jesh Durox, and Elizabeth Joy Windham. Our theme music is by Nicholas Poshberg. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this podcast, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and community.